President Trump went on a 12-day trip to Asia. Did he bring us back any goodies? Welcome back to USA Today's Cup of Politics. I'm Paul Singer, the USA Today Washington correspondent. President Trump is just back from an Asian trip that he has called historic, featuring high-profile meetings with world leaders ranging from President Xi of China to President Putin of Russia. Trump said the trip allowed him to strengthen relationships with key leaders and to reinforce his demands for fair trade deals and working with us to stop Korean nuclear ambitions. But he came home with no major new policies or announcements. On Wednesday afternoon, he delivered a televised speech, billed as a major announcement after the trip, but it ended up being more like a travelogue, kind of recapping his list of meetings and events. Our White House correspondent, David Jackson, traveled with Trump through Asia. We invited him to join us for a cup of politics and tell us what he saw. David Jackson, thanks for joining us here on Cup of Politics. Uh, Thanks for having me. So you joined uh, President Trump on this uh, mad dash across Asia for 12 days or so. Let's start with some of the key takeaways. Were there uh, achievements that uh, the president can uh, brag about from this trip? Were there the big things he got out of it? Well, in his mind, there were. He uh, he reached an agreement with China. China's going to buy 250 billion more of our stuff. That's one of the things he likes to talk about. Uh, Japan has put more economic sanctions on North Korea. That's one of the things he's mentioned. And all the countries really pledged to do what they could to try to dissuade North Korea from developing nuclear weapons. So in terms of that, there were accomplishments. A lot of people would say they were small accomplishments. But I, I have to say that a lot of these presidential trips, they're just setting the stage for stuff that's come, going to come later. I don't think we're going to be in a position to really judge this thing for several months or even years. I mean, the big, the bottom line is, uh, will we get a bilateral trade agreement with Japan? And you know, that would be a major accomplishment that could you could attribute to this trip. Will we rework the South Korean trade agreement? I mean, that would be something you could do the trip. And more importantly, will North Korea take steps to uh, disarm? And then that would be the biggest success of all. But we won't know these things for, for, for quite a while. So this is more of a building blocks trip. I mean, we get used to seeing the president sit down with another world leader and sign a declaration of whatever else. There was really not a, none of that. No, they, they well, they signed agreement, purchase agreements. Basically, China said, hey, we'll buy, you know, X amount more aircraft parts or soybeans. So there was a signing ceremony, but it was a very small one. You know, Paul, most of these things, I remember several years ago, a diplomat brought me aside and said, he didn't like the way the press covered these meetings because when big big time leaders sit down, you, you don't know the results for quite some time. There'll be a meeting between the American president and the country of X, and then six or seven months later, you'll see a small announcement about something that happened that you can track back to that meeting. And that's really the way these things work. It's the beginning of the process, not the end of one. Uh, now, the president came back and, and gave a presentation uh, at the White House uh, where he basically went, he said something akin to what you said. I mean, right. he, he was really focusing on relationship building and, and this projecting of American confidence. Right. Over the last two weeks, we have made historic strides in reasserting American leadership, restoring American security, and reawakening American confidence. That seemed to be for him a major takeaway. Right. Yeah, very much so. He t- and he talked a lot about that. He he told uh, he told uh, his counterparts in Asia that America's back and you can trust us, you can deal with us. And for him, that was a success. Others would, might, might quibble with that. But yes, he uh, he's apparently he's quite upset with the news coverage of the trip because there weren't a lot of accomplishments on the trip. And 
what were they were, were were kind of small, so he was kind of upset by that. But as I say, that the nature of these things is that is that there there really aren't a lot of big time news that are made on the actual trip. It's down the line where the where the situation changes. But he did have a lot of these events that you know the President right. Trump particularly enjoys, like right. the, the the big state dinners and and uh, talk. You've been on trips with other presidents. Uh, uh, on yes, country. I have been. And the two uh, the two previous ones really weren't all that big into the ceremony. Neither George W. Bush nor Barack Obama. I mean, sure they're going to stand there and listen to the both national anthems. They're going to walk with the leaders and review the military. But they didn't see that as the primary objective of the trip. They wanted to get to the meetings and, and talk turkey. Here it was kind of the exact opposite. President Trump loved all the ceremony. He loved his tour of the Forbidden City in Beijing. He loved playing with Hideki playing golf with Hideki Matsuyama in Tokyo. And it was almost comic the way the leaders in other countries went out of their way to flatter and, and really play up President Trump. They're trying to play to his vanity and to his ego, and apparently they were successful. Well, and he has made no, I think, bones about the fact that he enjoys the big spectacle right. event. I mean, that is something that he, he was a showman before he was, right. a, he was a politician, so, you know, why not? Yeah, some of this stuff would have made a great intro to The Apprentice, no doubt. <laughs> And how? What was your sense of the environment of how the Asians were reacting to the president? Uh, uh, was that different than the way they would react to either W. Bush or to uh, to Obama? It's all very much in keeping. I, I think uh, he's 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 relatively popular in Asia. I got to say, in Japan, there was a lot. Of, there were some protests in Korea, but we're only talking hundreds, not thousands. Uh, China, you know, it's always hard to judge public opinion because it really doesn't exist. The government <laughs> right. discourages that kind of thing. Uh, Beijing was just people went about their business. There weren't any demonstrations pro or kind. And in Vietnam, the president's very popular, but any U.S. president would be. You know, America does, oddly enough, America does quite well in Vietnam. And any presidential visit is going to get a lot of support and a lot of attention. The only place I think it really ran into trouble was in the Philippines. There were several protests. There were, we're talking thousands of protesters there that were anti Trump for whatever reason. And that was the only problem where you could. But, but generally, I think Trump is, is fairly well viewed in Asia. Well, and let's talk for a minute about, about Duterte and, and, right. and uh, uh, the Philippines. And Trump has gotten some criticism for not raising uh, human rights as an issue on any of this right. travel, which has sort of traditionally been American presidents go to these countries and they say, hey, by the way, right. you need a free press, you need democracy and stuff like that. That was not on President Trump's agenda. Uh, not at all. Not not with Duterte, who even though he's doing a, a war on drugs that involves extrajudicial killings, didn't talk about that at all. Claimed they, he claimed he raised it in private, but Duterte's people said it didn't come up, so we don't know. And he didn't raise it all in China. And that's, that's almost de jour that presidents now when they go to China, normally they would at least mention human rights violations in China, but not this time. And the Chinese love that. So, no, not a, it was all economics and North Korean nukes on this trip, not a lot about human rights. The president stayed mostly on message during this trip, too. Right. There was not a whole lot of... Trade in uh, North Korea. Yeah, yeah right. Um, but th there was this moment where, where he talked about President Putin. What happened there, and, and, <laughs> and, and what exactly do we make of it all? Well, that's a good question. Well, I'm, we're not really sure what happened. Uh, this is much we know. When he flew to Japan on Sunday, President Trump went back to Air Force One and talked to reporters and said, and said that he wants to meet with Putin about North Korea and they'll probably meet on the sidelines of Vietnam. Fine. Days pass. There's no, there's no Putin, Putin meeting schedule. We fly to Vietnam for the economic conference that was held there. Still no meeting schedule. And Sarah Sanders says, well, there's not going to be a meeting, but maybe they'll see each other on the sidelines. Well, it turns out they did. We, we spotted uh, Putin talking to uh, Trump in a receiving line. We saw them chatting when they were, when the group was walking toward what they call the family photo at the economic conference. So there was some interaction. So uh, flying out of Da Nang on Air Force One, Trump again went back to the press cabin and was asked naturally, what's with Putin? 
He said, yeah, we had a few we had a few meetings. So we issued a new statement on Syria. And oh, by the way, Putin talked about Russia. and He still denies that Russia was ever involved in the 2016 presidential election. And then for some reason, President Trump went on and on about this conversation with Putin and the Russia investigation. And at one point, he seemed to suggest that he believed Putin more than he believed our own intelligence well, agency. That was the odd thing. Yeah, he said, you know, I, I, uh, he says he had nothing to right. do with it. He, and I believe him. Right. He seemed really. And why would he say that if he didn't believe it? And. And then he, he said, what about our intelligence agencies? And he called some of our, the intelligence officials who have pointed the finger at Russia. He described them as political hacks, which, of course, was the big sound bite. So basically, we all wrote, it, it sound, President Trump suggested that he believes Vladimir Putin, ahead of our U.S. intelligence agencies, who said Russia was involved in, the, in, the, in interfering in the 2016 election. That was a huge headlines worldwide. All the cables covered it. Well, the next morning, he met with the president of Vietnam, and they had a news conference afterward. And lo and behold, some reporter asked him again about Putin. So uh, at that point, Trump sees the initiative, sees the opportunity to kind of walk back some of his comments. He said that he, you know, he understands where Putin is coming from, but he believes our own intelligence agencies, and, and they say they interfere in the election, and that's all there is to it. But my question is why he would even engage that with talk about it at length with reporters is beyond me. But another thing that's unusual, Paul, about it was that, yeah, they, they definitely saw each other on the sidelines at APEC. We saw that on the film and we, we, you know, we saw that from afar, but they didn't have, it couldn't have been more than several minutes of contact. This is one of the odd things. I've, I've sort of trekked through some of the transcripts and stuff like, where were they having these conversations? Because Trump said, every time I talked to him, he says I had nothing to do right. with your election. like, what do you mean every time? You've only, it, it looks like you've only seen him for 20 seconds. Well, the only time we saw him was a milling about. Now, they may have spoken to it. There was an APEC dinner from which our press was excluded, but the international press wasn't. And there was, there was a, I think they came over and said hello, but it could have been more than a minute. They spoke to each other uh, it, it, on the on during the economic conference. One of them went over mm-hmm. the other one. You could see them chatting for a few minutes, and then, like I say, they chatted with each other while they were walking toward this group photo. But uh, based on that, they couldn't have, they couldn't have been together more than five minutes. Now, maybe they had some secret meeting that no one knows about, far away from the camera's eyes or from anybody else. But I don't think so. And. I, they couldn't have spent much time talking about the Russian investigation based on what I saw their interactions in Vietnam. Right. Well, then that is something we will have to obviously right. keep following. Exactly. Oh, I'm sure it's going to come up again. I suspect we'll hear more about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I gather there was some dust up that there was not a lot of contact between the American press and the president. Um, well, it depends on how you define contact. I mean, he, uh, the pool was with him most of the place. You know, he, uh, he had a brief press conference with Prime Minister Abe in Japan. Now in South Korea, they were, the, the two presidents were only supposed to give statements, but they wound up taking questions two to each side. In China, there were no questions, and that kind of was upsetting because you know Obama had set the precedent where he had a, a joint statements with the Chinese president, but reporters did ask questions, one from each side, which that is unusual. Right, in the very unusual. Press that was a first-time thing, and but that's gone the you know that's gone the way of the dodo bird, I guess now because there were no questions in China, and he he kind of hung out, hid out from us in Vietnam until. Leaving Vietnam, when leaving Da Nang, Vietnam, he went back on Air Force One and gave a 30-minute press conference to the to the news media, and that's where he talked about Vladimir Putin and the Russia investigation. So that was kind of big news. So, you know, it depends on how you look at it. He uh, he made himself available to the pool a couple more times than we expected, and he basically had uh, two news conferences. Excuse me, three news conferences because he had a third one with the with the president of Vietnam. So. 
in keeping, I don't think it was any, I don't think that was particularly unusual, quite frankly. I think he gave us as much access as any other president would have. And, you know, I will say that, you know, as a defender of journalism, yeah. of course, and I, I believe I'm sitting here with a former president right. of the White House Correspondents Association, right? Right. Uh, you know, we will always argue for more. Right, exactly. And there were things that were different. One of the things that were different, this is the longest trip any president's made since George H.W.'s Bush's trip to Asia back in 91 and 92, the, the famous trip in which he right. threw up on the Japanese prime minister. Right, eight bad suits. So it's very hard to compare it because it's such a long trip. But um, And yeah, another thing that was weird about it was that we were, the press pool was restricted from eight, the APEC dinner, which was highly unusual. That's the first time any of us can remember that happening. And we're not sure whether we'd blame that on Trump or the APEC organizers. The fact of the matter was Vietnam had a lot of logistical troubles putting on that conference, and maybe you know maybe it was just a little bit beyond them. So that could have been a big factor there. But uh, yeah, you always want you always want more press coverage, and there were some weird things that happened on the trip, but there always are involving Mr. Trump. So step back for a little bit and take your sort of you know four-year presidential administration. Um, do you anticipate that this trip will be a memorable sort of moment in the history of this administration, or something that we will have forgotten about? Well, as they say, time will tell. Um, time will tell. Act, uh, actually, I think it will be because I think North Korea will either take steps to disarm or they won't dis- or they won't take t- steps to disarm. And in that regard, the trip, if they don't, the trip will be regarded as a failure. If, if there are talks with North Korea and if they do somehow restrict their weapons programs, a lot of people will look back to this trip. Another thing to look forward is the trade situation. I mean, are we going to sign some bilateral trade deals with Japan and maybe some other Asian countries? If we do, the trip will be credited for it. If we don't, the trip will be blamed. Okay, so we're going to have you back in about ah. six months, and we're going to say, so, DJ, how did this you look? Know, yeah, you just never know. That's the funny part about it. You just never know what's going to wind up being the most important thing. I mean, maybe the release of the UCLA basketball players may wind up being the most memorable part of this trip. We just don't know. Which, again, you know, they they came out, and they thanked the president for his uh, involvement in that. Yes, and I, I think there's going to be a lot of questions about his involvement because they were – all I know is the administration didn't say much about it while it was going on. But once we once we heard the word that the Chinese were going to release these guys, all of a sudden the White House started taking credit for it. So you do the math. Well, they're home. Yeah, <laughs> three three Americans are home. Uh, counts. For that's something. true. That's yeah. true. And and they thank Trump, and you know that had something to do with it. Uh, David Jackson, thank you very much for joining us here on Cup of Politics, and uh, thanks for coming back. All right. Thank you, sir. It's an interesting perspective David brings, having watched these presidential trips over time. How much can you really tell about the results in the first few days in the aftermath and how much takes six months to land? So keep track of it here at usatoday.com. Keep touch with us at Cup of Politics and we'll find out more. Now, of course, the holidays are coming. You will not be able to keep touch with us at Cup of Politics the Thanksgiving week. We will not be recording an episode. Sorry about that. But we promise to come back shortly thereafter in the first week of December We'll bring you another episode. Meanwhile, I hope you're enjoying the episodes. I hope you subscribed to Cup of Politics on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud or on Stitcher or any of those other good places where you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Shannon Green for producing our episode this week. And thanks, as always, to Chris Moscatello for our theme music.